2019 was a momentous occasion in international politics. On that day, Donald Trump became the first U.S. president to step foot in the nation of North Korea. This visit was part of a larger effort to ease tensions between the U.S. and North Korea. These two nations don't exactly have a friendly relationship. According to a 2017 poll from the Pew Research Center, 78% of Americans hold negative views of North Korea. While the insular nature of North Korea makes it basically impossible to gauge North Korean opinions of the U.S., it is most likely similarly negative. The U.S. doesn't have any embassies in North Korea, and North Korea doesn't have any embassies in the U.S. A major point of contention between the U.S. and North Korea is the status of the remains of American troops who were killed or went missing during the Korean War. While most of these remains have been returned to the U.S. since the end of the war, many still remain in North Korean custody. Until 2010, Americans, as well as Israelis, Japanese, Taiwanese, and South Africans, were banned from visiting North Korea. Tourism has since opened up for these nations, but this has opened up another can of worms. When Americans are caught allegedly committing crimes in North Korea, there's always controversy over how to handle it. For example, in March of 2009, American journalists Yuna Lee and Laura Ling were caught illegally entering North Korea. They were detained for 140 days before being released. In October of 2013, former U.S. Army officer Merrill Newman was arrested for war crimes he allegedly committed during his service in the Korean War. He spent 42 days in captivity before his release. In January of 2016, American tourist Otto Warmbier was arrested for stealing a propaganda poster from his hotel. After over a year, he was returned to U.S. custody in a coma, which the North Korean government claims was due to botulism. Warmbier never woke up from his coma, and he died in June of 2017. And oh yeah, I haven't even touched on one of the biggest diplomatic issues between the U.S. and North Korea, nukes. between the U.S. and North Korea dates back to the Korean War. I already explained this war a bit in my episode about South Korea's five republics, but I'll give you a quick refresher. It all began during World War II when Japan occupied the Korean Peninsula. Throughout the course of the war, the vast Japanese empire lost a bunch of its islands, got nuked, and spoiler alert, lost the war. Japan was forced to return much of the land it had taken from other nations, including Taiwan, Manchuria, the Philippines, New Guinea, Borneo, Burma, Java, Sumatra, and of course, Korea. The plan was to keep the entire peninsula united as one nation. However, this idea soon faded away. See, the North half had been occupied by the Soviet Union, who had developed a single-party communist government led by Supreme Commander Kim Il-sung. Meanwhile, the southern half had been administered by the United States, who had implemented a democratic, with heavy air quotes, provisional government led by President Sigmund Rhee. These two governments developed into separate nations, North Korea and South Korea, by 1948. 
from 1950 to 1953, the two nations fought the Korean War, which resulted in an armistice and virtually no change to the border between the nations. Since this war, North Korea and South Korea have had an extremely hostile relationship, and as an ally of South Korea, the United States is seen by North Korea as a comparable evil. These hostilities would ultimately lead to one of the craziest hostage crises in the U.S. history. It involved an American ship, the Korean People's Navy, and delicate negotiations over the fate of dozens of soldiers. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 37th episode of this podcast, and I'm excited for you to listen to this episode. Special thank you to Patreon subscriber Tom. If you want to receive a shout out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. States Army freight and passenger ship FP-344 was commissioned on April 16, 1944 in Kewanee, Wisconsin. In 1966, the ship was transferred to the U.S. Navy and renamed USS Pueblo. The next year, Pueblo was redesignated as a technical research ship or spy ship. On January 11, 1968, Pueblo set off from the U.S. Navy base at Yokosuka, Japan, towards the Sea of Japan. The ship's mission was to conduct surveillance of Soviet Navy activity off the coast of Japan. For this mission, Pueblo was staffed by 83 crewmen, led by Commander Lloyd Booker. On January 16th, Pueblo arrived at its designated patrol location, roughly 20 miles off the coast of North Korea. Now, here's some important information about territorial waters. According to international law, a nation's territorial waters, that is, the waters that are under their sovereignty, are to extend no more than 12 miles off of said nation's coast. Most nations adhere to this length, but North Korea, being North Korea, claims that its territorial waters extend to 50 miles off their coast. Because of this, some weird stuff began happening while Pueblo was patrolling. For example, on January 20th, a North Korean SO-1 submarine chaser passed within 4,000 yards of the ship. Two days later, two North Korean fishing vessels passed within 30 yards of the ship. Coincidentally, this occurred on the same day that North Korean forces unsuccessfully attempted to assassinate South Korean President Park Chung-hee. Finally, on January 23rd, a North Korean submarine chaser made contact with Pueblo. This ship ordered Pueblo to reveal her nationality, to which Pueblo responded by raising the U.S. flag. 
The North Korean ship then claimed that Pueblo was within the territorial waters of North Korea, and they ordered Pueblo to stand down and surrender. When Pueblo attempted to maneuver itself away from the North Korean ship, warning shots were fired. As Pueblo attempted to escape, three North Korean torpedo boats appeared and began chasing Pueblo. Soon afterwards, two North Korean MIG-21 fighter jets began following Pueblo as well. In addition, another North Korean torpedo boat and a second North Korean submarine chaser also joined the chase. In an unlucky turn of events, it turned out that Pueblo's machine guns were all wrapped in tarps to protect them from cold weather. This made it virtually impossible to man every gun on the ship. For two hours, North Korean sailors attempted to board Pueblo, but the American ship continued maneuvering away from the North Korean ships. Eventually, one of the submarine chasers opened fire on Pueblo with a 57mm cannon. One round wounded Paul Brusnahan of Trenton, New Jersey, and tore through Dwayne Hodges of Cresswell, Oregon, killing him. The same round then wounded Bob Chica of Bonita, California, lodging a piece of shrapnel in his groin. The smaller North Korean vessels then began firing machine guns at Pueblo, but nobody was hit by machine gun rounds. Eventually, Pueblo complied, and the crew began destroying classified material on the ship before North Koreans could board. However, the crewmen were only able to destroy a small fraction of the sensitive materials, which would later be seized by the North Korean military. At 2.55 p.m. on January 23, 1968, Pueblo was boarded by North Korean sailors. The American crewmen were immediately captured before being beaten with rifle butts and prodded with bayonets. Eventually, the ship was also boarded by North Korean military officers, who brought the ship back to the coast of North Korea. Five days later, the U.S. government received news of the seizure. by the North Koreans, Pueblo was taken to the port city of Wonsan, and the 82 captured soldiers were moved to POW camps. They were routinely beaten, starved, and deprived of sleep in an effort to make them confess to spying on North Korea. They were also forced to take demeaning propaganda photos. Despite the North Koreans, the POWs all flipped the middle finger at their captors in these photos, claiming it was a Hawaiian symbol for good luck. When their captors learned what flipping the bird actually meant, the torture got worse. Commander Lloyd Booker was even put through a mock firing squad. Meanwhile, back in the U.S., government officials began arguing over how to get the POWs back. Some, like South Carolina Representative Mendel Rivers, believed the best course of action was to threaten to nuke North Korea. Others, like Wyoming Senator Gail McGee, wanted to end the crisis diplomatically. President Lyndon Johnson requested that members of Congress refrain from threatening retaliation, believing that such rhetoric endangered the hostages. 
In April of 1968, U.S. Army Major General Gilbert Woodward was assigned as chief negotiator in the dispute. During the negotiations, North Korean Major General Pak Chung-kuk demanded the U.S. government agree to the three A's, admit to spying on North Korea, apologize for this transgression, and assure the North Korean government it wouldn't happen again. Most U.S. government officials disagreed with this, as it would be admitting to a crime that didn't happen and would make the nation look weak. But as Christmas neared, the U.S. government was getting antsy to bring the POWs home. Ultimately, after a North Korean officer threatened to execute his men, the captive commander Lloyd Booker relented and confessed to traveling into North Korean waters and spying. In the forced confession, Booker wrote, quote, We pee in the DPRK, we pee in their great leader, Kim Il-sung. He said the same thing out loud in a recorded confession, except he pronounced pee in as pee on. On December 23, 1968, Major General Gilbert Woodward signed a document agreeing to the three A's in exchange for the release of the POWs. That night, after almost a year in captivity, the 82 surviving crew members of USS Pueblo crossed into South Korea, carrying with them the body of Dwayne Hodges, the sole fatality of the incident. Several of the POWs had become physically disabled from torture and malnourishment, and one had even gone blind. Almost immediately after being released, Commander Booker was court-martialed for surrendering without putting up a fight and failing to destroy classified material. The classified material seized by the North Korean military would be used to supplement information provided by U.S. Navy officer John Anthony Walker, who was later convicted of spying for the Soviet Union. Eventually, Secretary of the Navy and future Rhode Island Senator John Chafee dropped the charges against Commander Booker, stating, quote, he has suffered enough. Booker continued to serve as commander until his retirement from the Navy. On January 28, 2004, Lloyd Booker died in San Diego, California at the age of 76. While his cause of death is unknown, it has been widely speculated that it was indirectly related to injuries he received while in captivity in North Korea. In 1989, the Navy finally granted POW medals to the surviving crew members of Pueblo. As for the ship itself, it remains in North Korean hands. Since 2012, USS Pueblo has been moored in the Poteng River in Pyongyang. It is currently a tourist attraction at the Victorious War Museum, where the North Korean government flaunts the fact that it seized an American ship. In April of 2018, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced that talks were underway to repatriate Pueblo to the U.S., but this has yet to come to fruition. To date, it is the only currently commissioned U.S. Navy vessel in possession of a foreign nation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I certainly enjoyed writing it. 
If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.